0: in getting sermons, and so I've started just recording myself while I'm um, talking, so to make sure that we get it. Um. Hi, Abby. Oh, hey, yeah, this would be the time when we would uh, dismiss children for Children's Church. I was wondering, I thought, why, why is Abby here? What, shouldn't she be in Children's Church? Shouldn't somebody be dismissing them? I, I am on my game today. Um, on on that note, um, hey, I, I'm going to need a little bit of patience today. I'm uh, I am here. Um, I'm still kind of dragging, um, but I I'm going to do my best. Uh, I I I hope I uh, hope I don't bore you all too much, and I hope I I at least match John this week. So, um, I th- we're working on our series. This is the Great Restoration. Um, what's going on with this series, we're looking at um, just in build up to Easter through Lent. We're looking at the ways that um, Jesus and um, the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus sort of restores the world to the way it was meant to be. And and we've looked at things that Jesus has replaced in the old Jewish system, like the temple, where the folks used to have to go to the temple to worship, and Jesus sort of replaces that um, and becomes sort of the new temple, the new place where we encounter God in, on this earth. Um, and, and so as we... Kind of work on that. We're going to look at something a little bit different this week. We're going to look at how Jesus replaces Adam, and there's some front loading I got to do here. I got to explain some stuff. Um, And and the first thing I I'm going to use an analogy that I'm going to come back to over and over again is from a movie. Has anybody seen the movie The Hudsucker Proxy? It's an obscure movie. It's got Tim Robbins in it, and uh, he uh, he plays the part of a, a mailroom employee at a at a large corporation, and he has an idea for an invention. And in the beginning of the film, he carries around this diagram of his invention, um, and he shows it to people, and everybody looks at it, and they're like, what is wrong with you? It's a circle. And eventually he has, like, when he, he becomes CEO through a series of accidents, and they they um, create, like, a like a graft drawing, like a like a drafting, and it's a circle is the front view, and a line is the side view. And everybody sees it and makes fun of him. Like, this is stupid, right? I mean – if somebody walked up to you and said, look, I invented this, what would you do other than mock them, right? It's, it's a circle. It's existed for a while. Now, if you'd seen the film, you would know that he invented the hula hoop. But what is a hula hoop in a diagram? It's a circle and a line. And later on, we see somebody else who comes to him and holds up his diagram, a circle and a line, and it's a Frisbee. <laughs> and But, like, at the end of the day, looking at that picture, did anybody know it was a hula hoop? Oh, yeah. <laughs> One guy. Um, but the problem is when we look at things that are pictures, right, pictures have the disadvantage of being two-dimensional, right? Even our best pictures where folks will draw, like, sort of three-dimensional images, we don't get the depth of it because at the end of the day, it's just a picture, right? And like like art, photographs, everything, like we don't see the real depth and the real meaning in things when we just see the two-dimensional. Um, actually, i got another set of pictures I'm going to show. I, I met my wife almost 19 years ago, um, and we met on the Internet, and these are the first pictures I saw of her, right? She sent me these photographs, and I looked at her and I thought, well, This is a very pretty girl. Right. Um, uh, These have been hanging on a bulletin board in my office and I've been or my study at home and I've been sick and laying on my couch all week and staring at my pictures of my wife. And she's gorgeous in these pictures. She's still gorgeous. Right. But um, 20 year old Eric um, didn't understand exactly how beautiful Jessica was because this is what I had. Right. Um, Having spent almost two decades with her, I've learned about her sense of humor, right? I've learned about how she's, you know, steadfast in telling the truth no matter what, right? Um, I've learned that she's forgiving, you know, to a degree of – I can't even express. I mean, she's just this loving, forgiving, awesome lady who is tough and wonderful. I mean, my wife – today, like I look at these pictures, and I realize I had no idea how beautiful my wife was when I met her, because this is a photograph, and the reality of who she is is much deeper and more significant. Does this make sense? Um, from a photograph, you could never know a person. I I started reading a, a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's like 10,000 pages, I swear. It's like reading a dictionary. And even after reading that, I won't know the man, right? I'll know things about him. But, like, I'm just getting a two-dimensional image that does its best to present a three-dimensional image. So now, as we go forward, um, this is the idea I want you to keep in your head, because Paul is going to talk about something difficult here as we look at sort of the replacement of Adam. Um, Jesus is the new Adam. Um, and, And... that means a lot, but it's hard to understand what it means, and we won't understand it until we get to the end. Um, this restoration, like the the series we're looking at, is about the old thing being replaced with the new. He replaces the temple. Jesus replaces our hearts. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus replaces Adam. Got it? Um, and we're going to be doing that in First Corinthians 15. And a little bit of background. First Corinthians 15 is... Um, at the end of a long letter, Paul writes this letter to Corinth, and he's basically, it's a theological grab bag, right? They had sent him a letter, and they said, well, hey, we have some problems. Can you answer these questions for us? And so Paul writes back, and he answers all of these questions. And so as you read it, it's kind of all over the map. And he addresses all kinds of stuff like, you know, which spiritual gift is the best? You know, should we speaking in tongues or teacher or prophet or Whatever. And he answers. He says, well, love is the most important one. And after that, it's like anything that's about prophecy or teaching, because you want to make people grow more than you want to, like, experience emotional stuff or whatever. Um, In 15, he starts answering questions about the resurrection, because this is in Greece. And Greek folks would look at the world around them, and they would say, the physical world is broken, right? And it is imperfect. And out there somewhere outside of our world is a perfect version. And our objective is to reach the perfect version, not to stay here in the in the physical. Everybody with me? And so, like, for the Jewish or for, for the Greek believers, they would say, Well, resurrection, why would I want to come back here? Wouldn't it be better if I went somewhere else where everything was perfect? You know, wouldn't it be better to like go elsewhere and escape this creation? But, like, the Jewish people and the early Christians, they believed in the resurrection. Like, the Bible teaches the resurrection, like a physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. And, and Jesus is the first example of that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but this is important. Like, like, that's the context we're talking about. And through the beginning of the letter, he talks about, well, look, Jesus was definitely ra- raised from the dead. We saw him. I saw him. Peter saw him. James saw him. 500 believers in in Jerusalem saw him. And if you don't believe me, go ask them kind of thing. And he starts listing off all these defenses. Jesus was definitely raised from the dead. And all of these arguments, there's an important line in there. We're going to touch on it briefly before we jump into what we're getting to. This is 1520 to 22. Um, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, we're looking at this briefly because Paul has this habit um, of comparing Adam to Jesus. And comparing Adam to Jesus is how he draws out sort of these deep ideas about Jesus. And there's this like teaching method, rabbis would use it. It was called um, From the Lesser to the Greater. Right? And you would take a lesser thing and compare it to a greater thing. And, like, you would draw out the nuance by, like, comparing the lesser to the greater. And Adam is the lesser, right? Jesus is the greater. And so he says, one man death came into the world, one man life came into the world. Um, If you want to see a great example of this, Romans 5, um, just to touch on it briefly, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was within the world before the law was given, but sin is not countered where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. I included all of that in this five verse because he says, listen, Adam was given a rule, right? What was the rule? Don't eat off the tree, right? You had one job. What did Adam do? He ate off the tree, right? Um, And so, like, Adam had a rule he broke, but there was no Ten Commandments until Moses showed up. But people still died, and they still died in sin. And he's saying, listen, because Adam died in sin, everybody who came after him died in sin because he was sort of the prototype. He was the first man, and everybody, like, comes after him, like, like lives in the thing that he represented and so adam brings brings his his thing into the world which is sin and death and like from there everybody dies and actually the rest of romans five is sort of but the free gift is not like the trust trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the grace of god and the free gift by his grace of that one man jesus christ abounded for many and so he says listen You know, lesser, greater. And actually, Romans 5, I'm not going to do the whole thing because it's a lot of verses, is just over and over again, Paul saying, one man brought death, one man brought ruin, one man this, one man that, but through Jesus, something greater came. Okay? Now, um, we're jumping into 15. This is back, again, the context is resurrection of the dead. Paul is arguing with the Corinthians saying, hey, People will rise again at the end, um, and this is something that the church believes. It's something the church teaches. It's something that is close to our hearts. Right? Um, is there anyone here who has not had a loved one die? Is there anyone here who has not had, you know, witnessed, you know, something awful happen and like just premature taken out of the world? Like the the. Is there anybody here who is not aware that you will also one day die? Like. We are all dead in our sins without Christ, and that resurrection, that making new is coming, um, and Paul is arguing it. Um, and he goes on. He says, so – this is 42. I'm jumping way past the previous one, but he introduces Christ and in Adam, and he comes back to it. He says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown in the perishable and what is raised in the imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, is raised in power. So what he's doing here, Paul is doing, he's comparing lesser to the greater, right? And the implication is, in Adam, it's one way, and in Christ, it's another. In the argument immediately preceding this, he says, listen, there's more than one type of flesh in the world, right? People are not made out of the same stuff as fish, right? Do so we say that's probably fair? Like if you did a DNA analysis of fish and compared it to a DNA analysis of people, they would be different. Fish are very different from people in the sense that they are adapted to live in water. I'm not adapted to live in water. I do my best. I take 20-minute showers, and I would love to own a hot tub. But I'm not really adapted to live in water. If I tried to live in water, I would die, right? In the same sense, like plants are different than people or different than fish. I mean, Paul makes this point. There's all kinds of different flesh. And then he brings it around to the resurrection. He says, so. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown is not the same thing as what's raised. So when we die, it's not the same as what comes back. Um, Well, we're perishable now, right? All of us have an expiration date. It's true. I know it's a hard idea, but all of us have an expiration date. But in the resurrection, there is no resu- expiration date. Um, he goes on. He says, "Honor and dishonor." Now, it's this is a hard one because honor refers to our place before God, right? And he begins to transition away from this idea of like physical and spiritual, like or excuse me, you know, you die and then you. Raise up with wings and on clouds, and he begins to talk about this idea of where we are before God. Before God, on my own, I am in trouble, right? Anybody ever show up to school without your homework or a major project and you know you're in trouble or you come home from school with your report card and you know you're in trouble and you know that there's something bad coming? I, uh, the first time I uh, took my car out as a 17-year-old as a with my brand-new driver's license, I wrecked it. I know it's hard to believe I, I was driving it was raining I slid on the water I hit a guardrail I screwed up my suspension I you know I wrecked my car the first day I was out driving um, I blame the rain and poor driving instructors but I remember coming home at about one in the morning having sat with the police for several hours and talking to them about my accident and filling out paperwork and everything else I came home, and I woke my parents up and explained to them, I wrecked my car. What kind of trouble was I in? Like, to kind of analogize here, right? We stand before God on our own, having made a royal mess of our lives, right? We were designed to be in relationship with God, and we live elsewhere, right? Right? And there will be a day we'll all stand before him. And on our own, we are in trouble. Um, Not even a little trouble. We are in dishonor, meaning we are broken and in broken relationship and as far away as possible. We're in weakness, um, whereas in the resurrection there's power, Um, meaning no matter how good medicine is, nobody lives forever, right? And I think there's almost this crazy idea that, you know, Through technology, we're indestructible. Nope. Um, We can't do everything. Um, And we live in our weakness. We live in our sin. We live in our fallenness. And, like, we're stuck, right? Um, But later, there's this resurrection. Now, Paul hits on something really important here. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Now, we see spiritual, and it's really easy to think spirit, right? You know, on a cloud with a harp, things pass through you. Um, That's actually not what this means. It means a supernatural body, meaning um, a body that is adapted to a different life, right? This is a life in constant connection and intimate relationship with God. Natural is everything that follows the laws of physics, right? Right? Everything that follows the laws of nature. I can't fly. I can't. I can't go back in time. I can't um, eat just one Lay's potato chip. Um, there are certain laws in the universe that are immutable that you can't break. Supernatural means that the laws of this world do not apply, right? And so what? where we die in our natural body, we're raised in a spiritual body, a supernatural body which is adapted to relationship with God. Now, this is hard to understand, and it's hard to understand because what we see is what we see. Everybody got it? It's almost like, has anybody seen that 80s music video where the, the girl steps into the comic book and they run around on the page? Um, what? Yeah, no, My, Michael Michael said yes. I knew Michael would have. This sermon's for him. Um, (laughs) um, what we see is two dimensional, right? There is a greater reality that God has brought about, right? We're blind to it because we are, we're dead in sin. We're blind to it because we're limited by the creation we live in. But in reality, all around us, God is constantly interacting with his creation, right? It exists because he keeps his hand on it. Right. Um, We breathe our breath because he allows us to. Um, He is constantly in our presence and we don't know it. There are things happening around us we don't see and don't understand. And Paul alludes to this over and over again. And my comparison is a little like, you know, hey, I understand hula hoops. I saw the circle on the paper, but this is more than that, isn't it? The life we live now is limited. It's small compared to what we will encounter when we're in God's presence. I think one of the songs they sang this morning was, I can only imagine. Like, the reality of who God is, is beyond I can only imagine, because I can barely imagine. Does that make sense? What we see in Christ, the resurrection, is to be right before God, It's to be in relationship with God. It's to have our sin and our past tossed away and for us to understand the depth of it, right? The worst thing about, like, the worst thing about coming to know Jesus and growing spiritually um, is that we – it's easy to reach a point where you realize, I have no idea how rotten I've been. I sin in ways I don't even know, right? Um there will be a day that I'll understand how much Jesus took on himself on Good Friday. And how different it was when he was resurrected. How far he stepped down from the heavenly realms to be amongst us, right? Because it's easy to think, oh, well, he was on a throne, he was somewhere out there, and he had angels singing to him and all that. But I think it's beyond that. I think it's a little like, like the AHA video, right? Stepping into the picture, losing dimensions, becoming limited in an enormous way. Um, And in the resurrection, we will see sort of this supernatural, this bigger thing that's beyond what we have in the natural. Um, It is written, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Now, he's comparing the lesser to the greater. Um, By the way, there is nowhere in the scriptures where it says Adam became a living being. What Paul is doing is he's paraphrasing. It doesn't change the fact that every translation I've seen makes it look like he's quoting. But what he's doing is he's paraphrasing Genesis, where God breathes breath into Adam. Adam comes into life, right, is suddenly alive. Did Adam come to life on his own? Nope. He came to life by God. Thank you. God breathes it into him, and suddenly he has life. Whereas in Christ, like Christ is resurrected, and he becomes the giver of life. And so like all of us who are spiritually dead, he breathes new life into us. He is not like Adam, who was given life and then just reproduces, right? You know, and ultimately all of us just have life because God gave it to him. Um, Christ is able to give new life and like sort of this new supernatural reality. Um, but it's not instant. Um, Paul touches on this, but it, is not the, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, meaning we're all in this natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth and made of dust, and the second man from heaven. Um, and so what he talks about is, listen, there's this whole other reality. We're of dust. We're of this world. In Christ, there's a whole other thing. There's this whole other meaning, this whole other truth, this whole other depth. What we see now of Jesus is almost like a photograph, right? You know, he seems pretty awesome from the picture. But when we're in his presence, when we come to this place where we're like truly knowing the second Adam, it'll be that much better, right? We like my wife the picture versus my wife my wife. Um, A whole other depth, a whole other amazing blessing. Um, But it is a second thing that's going to happen. We haven't faced it yet, Um, and we won't know it until we get there. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So now here's kind of my my last verse for like the straight sermon part here, right? Um, All of us are born like Adam. Um, Actually, if you look in Genesis, when God creates Adam, it says that he creates him in his image, Right? Adam starts having children after the fall, and it tells us that his children are in Adam's image. And the difference there is that Adam was right before God. Then Adam became fallen, no longer righteous, right? Like was broken and disgraced and everything else. And every one of us has come after. And so all of us are born. Um, sorry, I'm about to drop my microphone. All of us are born born bearing that disgrace and bearing that broken reality. Um, But in Christ, we begin to take on that image. Now, Paul has this habit of already true, but not yet. Have you all ever heard this? Um, It is already true that those of us who are in Christ are recreated. It is already true that those of us who are in Christ are spiritually made like him. However, there's a not yet part, right? I, I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to perfect, but I'm not there yet. I will live forever, but not quite yet. Um, and, and this is the reality of our walk as believers. Like Jesus Christ, Good Friday, Easter is significant because Jesus becomes the new Adam. Adam is the prototype, the representative. And now, like, Jesus is our prototype, and he is our representative. As we live our lives, we grow to be more like him. We grow to become, like, the way God intended us to be. Um, How does this play out for us personally? Well, there's the heaven aspect, right? Um, Part of it is holiness. Um, We obey the law of God. We pursue holiness, not because it will get us into heaven, but because in doing so, we become more like Jesus, Um, Well, how is that? Because I learn how to follow rules? No, right? It has nothing to do with following rules. It has to do with being in right relationship with God. I, marriage is always my example of this. My wife and I have a certain set of agreements about our marriage, right? We said them when we stood in front of the church a hundred years ago. And amongst those things was, I would forsake all others, meaning I don't date other women, right? Right? Um, if I were to start doing that, it would probably screw up my relationship and end my life. Um, holiness is learning to abide by the rules of a relationship with God. There are all kinds of things that we didn't agree to when we got married, right, that I figured out are totally part of the agreement. Does that make sense? Everybody who's been married for longer than five years knows how this is. Every man In reality, when she says, sure, you can go out, you can't go out. (laughs) Um, There are unwritten rules in the relationship. When she asks you, does this dress make me look fat? She does not want an honest answer. (laughs) She wants you to tell her you love her and that she's beautiful, right? But that is a rule in the relationship that you need to learn as you go. The relationship that we have with the father, right? Is outlined in certain things. You look at the Ten Commandments, and the Jewish people would obey the Ten Commandments because if I break this, then I'll kick God off real bad, and He'll send us to hell, or He'll wipe out the nation again, or some other really bad thing will happen. And in reality, when I use the name of God in vain, I'm offending God. Right? If I if I um, worship things that are that are like on this earth and aren't God. I'm offending God. I'm damaging my relationship with him. We pursue holiness because it prepares us to be in relationship with him, right? Um, this is the in the process of becoming like Jesus. And he enables us to do it because it's true once we become his followers. Like if we follow him, if we commit our lives to following him, it is the truth. Um, men, I'm going to pick on men exclusively, right? Um, Gentlemen, um, one of the things I would teach for years at at the home, um, I would ask the guys, I did this series on manhood, and I would ask, what does it mean to be a man, right? And guys had all kinds of things they would say. Oh, well, I'm tough enough that nobody can ever cross me. That's what it means to be a man. Women love me, and that's what it means to be a man. And all these crazy definitions. At the end of the day, what it means to be a real man is to be like Jesus, um, is to be loving but strong, right, is to be um, self-sacrificing for like, like your bride in Christ's case, the bride of Christ, or the bride of Christ, the church. Um, for all of us, like men, it is our job to be self-sacrificing for the folks around us, right, not self-centered. If you actually read 1 Corinthians 13, you're seeing a description of the life of Jesus, who Jesus was. Our pursuit of holiness, men, our pursuit of becoming like Jesus, means that we become the way God intended men to be, the way Adam was supposed to be. Um, And, I mean, honestly, we step away from this old way, which is kind of all of these negative things. Adam stood there and watches his wife eat the apple, right? His wife is tempted. His wife, you know, then makes this choice, and she sort of screws it up for everyone. And then Adam goes along with her and says, yeah, whatever you say, honey. Right? Instead of being active, spiritually leading his wife and his family, he's passive and allows things to happen. Um, instead as men, we're called to become like Jesus and actively lead, right? This is what God calls us to do. This is God what God calls us to, to, to be. And this is done in love, not in just, hey, I got to do it or else. Hey, I got to do it or else. We do it because we love our wives, we love our families, we love our neighbors. And we love God more than we love anything else. And, like, this is the real thing. Now, if you just look at it as follow the rules, you have your circle picture, right? There's no depth of reality to that. In reality, everything we do as believers is in the process of becoming like Jesus, is in the process of transforming from something old into something new. And it's not instant. Uh, where's Kyle? I said I would pick on him, and I'm about to. Um, is he actually hiding? There he is. Um, <laughs> Kyle has, what is it, a 68 Chevelle sitting out there. It is very cool looking, right? And and um, it, it's cooler than any car I've ever owned, right? And he bought it like that, which is awesome, right? Now, I lived next door to a guy when I lived in Alabama, and the guy built a Model T from nothing. He had a frame in his garage, and he built a Model T, Right? And it was it was beautiful. It was a show car, right? Um, what's the difference between the Model T that he built and the one that, sorry, Kyle, <laughs> that Kyle bought? One is a process and labor of love. I'm sure Kyle loves that car. Do you? <laughs> if you had built it with your own hands, frame up, would it be a different kind of love? There would be a depth to that relationship with that car. That would be different. Um, as we pursue being like Jesus. And growing spiritually. And being changed. We develop a depth of relationship with him. And a depth of reality. To this new creation. That's like the circle next to the hula hoop. Right? Um, when I met my wife. She was a picture. On the internet. Right? All right, We met on the internet. She was words on the internet. And a picture she mailed me. Um, years and years later. I've learned to be like close and intimate with her, because there's a different depth of relationship there. And the same thing is true of Christ. He is the new Adam. He is the model that we're to follow. And as we pursue becoming like him, it changes us in a way that just having it instantly can't do. There are guys I talk to in this place, and I say this in love because I'm the same way, who struggle. I wish God would just take this out of my life now and make it easy. Anybody else feel that way? There's this one sin. There's this one problem person. There's this one difficulty. There's this one thing. If he would just take it away and magically fix it, it would be wonderful. But the reality is that the process of pursuing him and growing spiritually and learning to lean on him makes us different. Um, I wish I was good at things the first time I did them. But learning to do things develops character, right? Pursuing Jesus, growing in depth, becoming like him changes us in a way that if we were instantly perfect, we would never get. Probably, actually, why James says in James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind. Um, because it develops perseverance. It teaches you how to lean on God. Um, the last thing here I want to talk about is, uh, is love. Like So pursuing holiness for men. Um, the idea of the importance of transformation, and finally love. I, 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 had you all take a moment to 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 love the folks around you during greet today, right? Anybody relatively new here? Like where you can remember the first time you were here, and this is a room full of strangers. Um, has that changed? Where like you spend a few minutes like. Like hugging people or shaking hands or just being with the folks around you as a part of the worship setting. And you're like, man, there's depth to this. It's different than it was. Because, um, and Paul warns us, right now we see imperfect like in a mirror. But later we'll see it for real. Um, we slowly come to understand the love of God through our relationships with the folks around us and through deepening our intimacy with him. And then ultimately, when we stand before God, we'll realize that it was the glue that held it all together in the first place, right? But we can't see it now because it's like looking at a two-dimensional. It's like looking at a picture of the Grand Canyon versus standing in it. There's real depth and there's real significance in it that you'd never understand. I got a great picture hanging up at the house of my wife and Abby and I standing in a wheat field on the Durga's plot of land out by the water. It's one of my favorite family pictures, except that Titus isn't in it. I'll Photoshop him in later. <laughs> I, I have seen photos of wheat fields, but like standing in big sky country with the wind blowing and listening to the, you know what I'm talking about? It was different. It was different in a way that a picture could never do justice. In the same way, Jesus is an image that we'll one day see for real. The life we're living now, it's a thin version of what God is going to give us in the long run. We're slowly becoming it, but Jesus is replaced like, like the future for us. We have something better to look forward to. I'm going to close in prayer, and, and we, uh, we're finishing early today. Which is by the way, at noon, church goes to twelve fifteen for anybody who wonders, <laughs> it just does I said I would announce it and make keep announcing it so you know church ends at twelve fifteen um, let's pray, heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to to recognize the the reality that comes with with christ the the new and better thing that you give us the the hope for the future, but not just. Hope to escape from the fire, but hope for something better and more that you offer us. Um, help us to recognize that this life we live, this, this thing that we sit in, this, this you know two-dimensional version of, of your perfect picture, Lord, that this is just a passing phase. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that, that when we stand before you, we'll be made into something better. We'll be made like Jesus in a perfect way. Help us to every day pursue the process of becoming like Christ. Help us to to strain toward holiness, not as people obeying a rule um, or trying to stay out of trouble, but as people who are striving for something better, uh, for something bigger, for something more. Uh, Help us to be hungry for, for the time that we'll stand before Jesus the first time. Amen. To stand up and close with a blessing. Yeah. Two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to have a pancake breakfast after 8 a.m. service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, receive a blessing. Um, may the God who created you and redeemed you from from the last Adam, from being in the image of the broken, like sinful way of this world, may he help you hunger for new creation and restoration. May he help you desire to be like the new Adam. Um, And may he just give you strength and courage to become that. Amen.